You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks supporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. And joining me, as always, is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Men. And bringing you today's podcast is Himalaya. A reminder that you can get Locked on Bucks on the brand new podcasting app, Himalaya, as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play a podcast, Locked on Bucks. Frank, how you doing, buddy? Uh, I'm good, Eric. I uh, I got home today. I just made myself a little uh, little mini bowl of uh, honey roasted peanuts and uh, cocoa dipped almonds uh, to snack on. Uh, and I, I ate them all while we were discussing what we were going to talk about, since we actually had to sort of prepare for this discussion of the Celtics versus Bucks. So, um, so I'm fat with with snacks. <laughs> you brought up. Uh, what were the skinny dipped almonds? I think. Oh yeah, that's yeah, there? that's 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 what they're called. That's what I just had. Yeah, they're like little almonds with like a light dusting of uh. Of so cocoa. you you explained these to me and our good friend JJ Birch uh, as we recorded a movie podcast. Congratulations to JJ on now becoming a father. Yes. Um, yeah, JJ and his wife Julie. So you just you discussed these while we were getting ready for our Oscars uh, preview and. You described them, and I was like, those don't even seem like a thing. And the last airport I walked through, I don't even remember which one. Um, it been before Detroit. I don't even know. But I walked through an airport and saw them, and I was like, oh, my gosh, Frank didn't make them up. Those are real things. They're real. Um, I, bu- I bought some, and they were delicious. So yeah. uh, I, I was I was quite pleased, and I approve of your snack choice. Uh, so. The only place I've ever uh, seen that I've only bought them on on Amazon, but I I have seen them uh, also at Love Field in Dallas. That's like the Southwest Airport in Dallas. Mm. Uh, so and, maybe uh, I was in a Southwest like uh, corridor or something like that. <laughs> I, I don't know if there's any affiliation, uh, but uh, I will say this: they are not cheap. Uh, I think in the airport, no, they were not. The bags cost like eight bucks. But hey, pro tip: if you're a business traveler. Watch out for those skinny dipped almonds. Expense that stuff. Boom. Life hack right there. That, no, that's that's very well done. And speaking from experience, it was fantastic. Um, other thing, uh, a few, I don't even know when we recorded this podcast, but a, a month ago, maybe, uh, I did radio in the afternoon for three hours um, and then got done with it. And then we recorded this podcast and my voice was really messed up like like frank the tank dart in the neck like so strange like my voice is never crazy you're crazy (laughs) my voice has never sounded like that before ever in the history of my voice um we recorded i didn't really like notice 
And I did the same thing today. I also recorded uh, a podcast with Dave DeFore and Jay King here at The Athletic. So I've done a lot of talking today. Uh, I went up with a little tea and honey here in the in the evening. So my hope is that I cannot make my voice sound like that again because it was so off-putting and so difficult for people to understand that it, it just was really bad. So hopefully uh, you guys don't recognize just what my voice sounds like or my voice doesn't sound like that. Um, so hopefully I'm able to, to mask that. But what we're going to do today is I think... So we're going to try to record a crossover podcast with John Corrales from Lockdown Celtics uh, for Friday. But for tonight, I think we kind of wanted to go through Bucks Celtics and just talk through a couple different things. And I guess the best way to kind of approach this was, you know, there's like kind of five topics we want to talk about. And we wanted to put them uh, factor fiction style. So we, we created these. Uh, right before the podcast is Frank was munching on skinny dipped al- almonds and uh, I was drinking this tea and honey. So hopefully uh, we're ready to go here. So the first one I will say is Shemi Ojale, Giannis stopper question mark. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say fiction on that. Um, you know, look, uh, Shemi Ojale, who, you know, second year guy, um, Really strong, one of the uh, most jacked dudes in the NBA, 6'7", 240-ish. Um, you know, great, great physical tools, um, not a, a not a particularly tall or long guy. Um, but I will say this, I think he did, did a good job last year at times in terms of just not letting Giannis get to spots, which is obviously a useful skill to have, especially um, if Giannis is, is trying to post you up. Um, but, you know, you can run some of the numbers because I know Tom Haberstroh did a, a thing on on Ojale. Um, but I, personally, my view is putting Ojale into, you know, we've seen him start for the Celtics against the Bucks, like get dusted off, thrown into the starting five. We saw that in the playoffs last year. At times, we saw that uh, also uh, in in the first game of the season against the Bucks. I don't think they did it in the other games. Um, I could be wrong, but... Either way, you know, it's sort of one of those things. Like, there's a trade-off here, right? If if you want to put a guy out there who who might be marginally better at defending Giannis, um, he's certainly switchable. So that's that's you know generically a positive thing. But if you want to put a guy out there who might be marginally better at stopping Giannis, um, who also like is far worse offensively than anybody else that you know is really in the discussion to take those minutes. Hey man, go ahead, right? I mean, again, nothing, not a, not a to knock uh, Shemi uh, for his effort or anything like that. But um, you know, this this series is not about stopping Giannis, I don't think. And I think we've, from what we've seen with with Brad Stevens, um, you know, he's kind of content to let Giannis just try to try to work one on one for his buckets and try to take away other guys. So I'm gonna guess that's what he's gonna do, but. I, I don't think Shemi Ojale is going to make really much of a difference. And it would seem really weird um, for Tim to, you know, get thrown into the mix, given that he's not even a normal rotation guy. So Tom Abistro, obviously good with numbers. Uh, the segment he always does is the the big number. And the big number that he threw out for the Buck Celtics series was about Shemi Ojale. And the number was 104.3. And that is the Bucks' offensive rating 
when Ojale serves as the primary defender of Giannis. Now that's across 209 possessions in the last two years. Uh, that's about the best number you're going to see from just about anyone uh, on the Celtics. Uh, that's 104.3 for Ojale in 209 possessions. It's 109.5 in 296 possessions for Al Horford. 113.2 for Jalen Brown in 76 possessions, 114.5 for Jason Tatum in 69 possessions, and then 119.9 for Mark Smars in 136 possessions. And I think it's it's kind of interesting to to think about. But you said you know when you when you think about what you're what you're doing with Ojale is you know you're trying to s- slow down Giannis and uh, obviously when you look at the numbers like I think it's pretty pretty hard to argue that that's what you're doing um but uh, I also think you know you have to kind of think a little bit more about what playing Shemi Ojale means uh last year in uh 17 playoff games Shemi Ojale Defensive rating, 104.6. So, pretty solid number. Uh, Offensive rating for the Celtics in those same 17 games, 13 and a half minutes per game in those 17 games, 98. So, you're looking at a negative 6.6 net rating with Shemi Ojale on the floor. And I think that's that's kind of what I would point to, at least, when, you know, you're you're kind of thinking about whether or not this is this is really going to work out is you know with Ojale you're essentially sacrificing one offensive player and against the Bucks last year seven games 18 minutes per game against the Bucks 104.4 defensive rating so about the the number Tom uh, cited 100 defensive or 100 offensive rating so again that's a negative 4.4 net rating and I I would probably argue that this year it's even more extreme that in Mike Boonholzer's system, giving Giannis someone to totally not cover, to totally ignore, is an even bigger no-no. And I just think when you think about Mike Boonholzer in what he's about, what he thinks about, what he obsesses over, it's defense. And for him to, to have the opportunity to let Giannis ignore a, a, a different player, which which he would largely do to, to Shemi Ojale. I think he's a 30% three-point shooter on his career. Um, that's that's significant. I think if if he, if those career numbers hold up and you know the the Bucks are only going to score 104.3 points per 100 possessions in those possessions, I think you know there's a chance that the Celtics could score 98 points per 100 possessions in that and. I would guess Mike Boonholzer would take that trade off every single time. So um, I, I would agree with you. I do not buy Shemi Ojale as as the Giannis stopper. Not because he may, you know, do better against Giannis and slow the team down a little bit, but just because the trade off you're making is essentially accepting really crummy offense to be better on defense, um, which is I think ultimately detrimental to your team. Uh, let's go to. Yep. And, and and I would just add two to that. I mean, again, like, you know, I was, I was listening to the Bill Simmons pod the other day and, and Simmons has been, I'd say 
um, very open about his, uh, well, very much his Kyrie Irving skepticism, <laughs> um, but also just been skeptical of the Celtics for, for a little while now. Uh, this after uh, Bill projected the Celtics would win, what, like 67 games, I think, preseason or something like that. So he, he has had a major uh, reversal on his, on his view of the Celtics. But um, he was kind of making the case around Marcus Smart, who we'll talk about a little later, that um, you know, losing smart maybe doesn't matter as much because now you can kind of get like, you finally have like, you know, your eight guys that you can get all the minutes, you know, give all the minutes to, and you don't have to juggle one more good player. And again, like the irony would be like, okay, so, so supposedly now you finally have your, you know, tight playoff rotation, and then you're going to throw Shemi Ojale in there and, you know, whatever these guys, you know, cause apparently whatever Jalen Brown can't function at 30 minutes or can't function at 25 minutes, but he is great at 30 minutes or whatever the argument is. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of question the premise to begin with, but um, if you do buy into the premise, then it, it just seems strange that, you know, again, you're going to insert a guy who, while I think can play, I mean, I, I think he's an NBA player, but, you know, again, like when people talk about the Celtics being so deep and having so much talent, like they're not talking about, <laughs> about Shemi Ojale. Um So again, like, I think you're really just hoping that he can come in and, doesn't get guarded and then hits some open threes, which could happen in a very small sample. I think he hit two in the, the season opener uh, between these teams. But yeah, it's just, you know, I, I think you just have options that give give you better two-way balance than uh, than Shemi. And, and again, it's sort of like the illusion of like, oh, I've got a, I've got an answer for Giannis, right? Um, and I just, I just don't think anybody individually is an answer. Yes, I, w- I would agree with that. Uh, okay, let's go to the the next statement or question. I'm not really even sure how I'm doing this. Um, Al Horford will play Brooke Lopez off the floor. I think this, I would, I would say, um, I would say this is the biggest, I, I hesitate to call it fiction. Well, I'll say this, Brooke Lopez is going to play in this series. Okay. Like I- I'm not, I-, I don't really see a world where Brooke Lopez, like, <laughs> you know, stops getting started or, you know, plays 15 minutes a game or something like that because, um, because he, he can't be on the floor with, with Al Horford, right? Um, you know, Al Horford, first off, even if he struggles um, with the matchup, and I think Brooke averaged, what, five points a game against the Celtics this year? I mean, there were definitely struggles for for Brooke against the Celtics. I mean, that, I, I don't want to act like this is some just completely trumped up thing, because there certainly have been issues with Brooke, you know, defending against teams that can pick and pop and, and use a mobile big man to, to get open looks from three. And you know, probably the, the best example was in the first game of the season when the Celtics hit, you know, whatever it was, 24 three-pointers on 55 attempts. Uh, Horford hit four out of 11, Marcus Smart at five out of, or uh, Morris at five out of nine. Um, but Kyrie also hit six out of 12, which is a lot for a point guard. It seemed like the Bucks had much more difficulty, like, preventing point guards from getting threes early in the season. You had Kemba with his massive uh, three-point explosion in the first game of the season, and then Kyrie had six out of 12 in game eight. I, I don't know. I, off the top of my head, I can't remember any point guards really going off from three-point range against the Bucks, um, like those guys did early in the season. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely a risk. I think, to be honest, like Lopez's sort of impact defensively being nullified by you know the Celtics is is probably like the biggest matchup concern I have. Um, and the flip side of that, I think, is I'm I'm also worried that. Budenholzer might be slow to do something different. Um, but, you know, the flip side again is, I mean, you know, it's not like Al Horford 
or Aaron Baines are, you know, Steph Curry level three point shooters. Um, we've talked about how this, the Bucks concede threes generally to big men who aren't great three point shooters. Um, and if nothing else, uh, you know, you would hope that if Lopez is having problems against Horford, you know, maybe can you stagger him a little bit more to get him matched up in those Baines minutes? Because I, I still would expect Baines will play. He has been starting. I don't believe he will start. Um, because again, I think you put Baines out there, then Lopez just guards him and, you know, Aaron Baines can hit an occasional three, which we saw in the first game between these teams, but he's not Al Horford. Um, so I, I would, I wouldn't call this fiction. Um, I also wouldn't call it a, call it a fact, but I would say it's probably somewhere in between because I think absolutely, um, the Celtics can, can maybe take advantage of Brooke. And I think the other flip side of this is that the Celtics are not a team that actually like really tries to get to the basket that much. Um, so the Bucks defense is obviously predicated on, you know, basically taking away the paint and the rim from a team's offense, whether that's getting offensive rebounds, whether that's scoring in the paint, whether that's drawing fouls, um, in the paint and, you know, for better or worse, generally for worse. Um, but perhaps in this series, maybe it's actually, um, a better thing that the Celtics are not a team that has generally, you know, relied on, on getting tons and tons of shots, um, at the, at the rim. Um, they are uh, 27th in the league in rim frequency, just 32% of their shots come at the rim. Um, so again, like they may not be harmed as much by, um, Brooke defending the paint. Um, but the flip side as well is that if the bucks go away from Brooke and go smaller, um, they're not probably at, at, at much risk of, Oh, now the Celtics are just going to be able to pound the paint. Cause that's what they really want to do. Yeah, I think it's 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 really an interesting one. And Jay King, my colleague at the Athletic, had the the stat that the Celtics have outscored the Bucks by twenty eight points during the forty four minutes both Al Horford and Brooke Lopez were on the floor together uh, during the regular season. And our friend Dean Maniad at all the Bucks had you know kind of provided a little bit of a context to it that the Bucks shot nine of thirty one from three and eleven of seventeen from the free throw line in those minutes. The Celtics shot nineteen of uh, nineteen of forty four from three in those minutes, and uh, you know if luck adjusted, you might kind of shrink that down a little bit. But um, I guess I think what's interesting about it all is I think Bud has been a little bit more receptive to to actually changing things up and actually trying new things than than I think I thought he would be coming in just because his reputation kind of precedes himself about not being willing to change things up. Like, And I think in the first game against the Celtics, that was maybe the most drastic example we've seen this season of Bud not being willing to to actually change things, right? Like we saw them kind of stick in their base defense for a long time, and then finally in the fourth quarter, change things up a little bit. Uh, and then ultimately, by that point, I don't know if the game was over, over, but you know, it, I think it had been shifted in such a dramatic way that you know maybe the Bucks weren't going to come all the way back there. And I, I guess there, there's some of me that thinks you know what if you're not super willing to, you know, make that change right away or, or, you know, change your coverages right away or whatever it may be with Brooke Lopez, like you could cost yourself a game. And obviously that's significant, right? Like that's, 
that is an important thing in a seven game series, like giving up a game for that could happen. But also, you know, maybe he does make some changes. And I think with Brooke, they've probably gotten better as the year has gone on about trying to figure out ways to keep him on the floor. Um, I think we saw him switch a little bit more than, than I think we ever thought he, <laughs> we'd see him switch uh, and do pretty well in those moments. And I think we've seen him kind of do some different things and, you know, get out to shooters quicker. So I do think there is, you know, some possibility that, that even if the Celtics try to play him off the floor, uh, ultimately Brooke will kind of be able to handle it. Uh, And I know I kind of spent the first month of the year asking Bud those exact type of questions like, oh, you know, like, how are you going to try to, make it so Brooke can stay on the floor. And then, you know, kind of by the end of the year, they've they've figured out most of the time how to keep him on the floor. Like, there's not a lot of games where where he comes off. So I think there may be I'm, – I'm really interested to see the dynamic of stubbornness to keep him on the floor and then also being willing to actually make that change and, and get him off the floor. So we'll kind of see how that goes. But at the same time, I'm also wondering – if you get Brooke Lopez off the floor, what have you done? And what I mean by that is if you get him off the floor, does that mean you've just swapped in 10 minutes of Giannis at center? Because if so, do the Bucks feel like that's a huge loss? Uh, that's, or is it, is it 10 minutes of, I don't, I don't even know. Uh, DJ Wilson, 10 minutes of Urson instead of Brooke Lopez. Like to me, that's, that's kind of the the question is what exactly are you accomplishing by playing Brooke Lopez off the floor? Yeah. I mean, um, I, part of me would love to see Bud just randomly tell Brooke like, all right, on the first possession of, the, of game one, the first pick and roll you get into Brooke, you're switching <laughs> just to like, just to like totally, throw, <laughs> just to like totally throw a curveball at, um, at, at Brad Stevens and Kyrie and company just to be like, wait, what? Because um, it's also kind of one of those things too. I mean, it's like, I, I'd love to see the numbers of like what Kyrie does um, in pick and roll when he's, when he faces a switch versus uh, when he doesn't. Cause I mean, he, he's such a difficult shot maker that it's part of me wonders like, does it even matter? Right. Like, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even know. Like, does it even matter if you switch a big man onto him and the guy just basically like kind of like play, you know, plays off him a little bit and kind of just like concedes a mid range jumper to him. I mean, Kyrie can, can definitely kill you from mid range. Um, but you know, what's one thing we know about the bucks, if they are going to get killed, they would much prefer to get killed from mid range and kind of dare teams to beat them that way. Then, um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to get the splits. I mean, Kyrie has been 50% from 10 to 16 feet. I mean, he's great in that range. Right. Um, but again, like, you know, expected value of a long two, maybe a point per possession at best versus if he's taking a three, he's 40% from three, that's 1.2 points. If he's getting to the rim for a layup, he's 63% at the rim. That's 1.26 points, right? So um, I, I don't know. I'm just really fascinated to see how how the Bucks defend those pick and rolls. Um, you know, I, I didn't watch that much of the Celtics Pacers series, or at least not, I didn't really like closely focus on it um, because, you know, again, like, I mean, Indiana, it's not like Miles Turner wants to go defend Al Horford at the three-point arc, right? I mean, 
clearly, you know, Miles Turner wants to stick around the rim as well. As well, and I, I granted, Miles Turner is is maybe a little bit more mobile than than uh, than Lopez. I don't know mm. if he's really that much more mobile, to be honest. Um, and you know, you look at what Al Horford did uh, against the the Pacers in the first round. He scored ten points, four points, sixteen points, and fourteen points. Um, so he shot thirty four percent from the field, thirty one percent from three. So, eh, you know, like he, not exactly like killing killing Miles Turner, who obviously also tends to be a rim protecting big. So, um, so yeah, I, I think it's just generally. I think this to me is the the thing that I'll watch mm-hmm. very closely, just because it has become the narrative, whether it it should be the narrative or not. Um, and I think it's an also, as you were alluding to, it's a very nice litmus test of if it's not going well, how quickly will Bud adjust? How quickly will Bud go to something else? Um, and I think, you know, the interesting thing is putting Ursan or Mirtich out there, who, you know, are obviously going to be the first two options at the, at you know, the, the big man position other than Brooke to pair with Giannis. Um, I mean, I guess those guys are, you know, moderately quicker than, than Brooke. Um, but I guess I'd turn it on its head a little bit. Like, does, does that really, you know, I mean, you were talking more from the Celtic side does, but does it do those guys even like represent like a big upgrade in, in practice? I think it might be more of just the fact that those guys wouldn't sit back the way Brooke does and, and maybe sitting back isn't really that helpful in the first place against, uh, against a team like the Celtics that, that aren't as interested in going to the rim. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's just going to be a really interesting kind of thing to watch. I I'm almost as, as, um, as curious about kind of like how, what they do otherwise though, because like you said, I mean the, the 24 threes they hit, it's not like Al Horford hit eight threes, right? He hit four out of 11, right? Probably live with that in the grand scheme of things. He got 12 points out of 11 shots. Um, it was Kyrie going six out of 12, Marcus Morris going five out of eight. That, that really hurt you. And I, I do. So the, the whole idea of um, the whole idea of, kind of thinking about the Celtics not really going to the rim. Like one of the other things that that means is, you know, like they don't have a ton of like real obvious assist opportunities. And to me, that was kind of the thing that stood out about Horford in game one was it was eight assists, right? It, it, with Horford, like four of 11 from three, you can probably live with that. But the eight assists were, you know, a lot on on threes that he would attack a closeout that was a little bit too hard at the three-point line, get into the lane, and then kick out for a three. And, you know, obviously you mentioned some of those threes that really hurt the Bucks. And I do wonder, uh, like you said, like, is there is there some effort from the Bucks to kind of bait the Celtics into taking mid-rangers. And I, I think with a guy like Jason Tatum, you don't have to bait him into doing that. He likes doing that. Um, but like a guy like Kyrie, like, okay, if if you can do your best to run Kyrie off the line and then with Horford, don't let him get the three and then don't help. Like, is Al Horford gonna gonna kill you on 10 drives where you just let him drive to the rim and, and do what he can do? I don't know. I do think it's kind of an interesting question. So how the Bucks try to try to answer all those questions will, will for sure be interesting um, in this series. Let's go with uh, next statement. No one, including Eric Bledsoe, can slow down Kyrie Irving. This again is a tough one. I, I think... 
again, you look at the numbers this year, um, Kyrie was, was not great against the Bucks. He shot 38%, um, did hit, I think, over 40% from three. Um, never had kind of like just the, like, I don't know, even the game where he, I think in the first game of the season where he hit those six years, I think he ended up with 28 points, I would say. So, you know, again, not like 40-point nuclear Kyrie. Um, and let's also, I mean, be realistic, right? I mean, I think Bledsoe didn't really kind of get going defensively in that Bud system until, um, I don't know if it was kind of after this, but, you know, he got lit up a couple times um, early on, including by by Kemba in game one. Um, but I, I, I will say this, I think Bledsoe matters defensively against Kyrie. Um, I think it helps to have a guy who's as physically capable and athletic as, um, as, as blood. So, and again, Kyrie's going to get his shots. Like one-on-one Kyrie will get shots. Um, I think it's again, kind of what you're alluding to though. Can you force him into, you know, can you turn maybe one or two of those shots that become, you know, shots in the restricted area? Can you turn maybe one or two of those into more difficult floaters or mid-range shots, right? And kind of maybe hack away at, at some of the efficiency that way. And then perhaps more importantly, you know, that six out of 12 was kind of an outlier, I think, for, for the Bucks in terms of what they allowed opposing point guards. You did a, a feature on just how much the Bucks, um, you know, did right against kind of the league's best point guards. I mean, whether it was Steph or Damian Lillard, the Bucks did a very nice job generally against the league's best point guards. And obviously Bledsoe was kind of the, the tip of the spear on that. So I think his physicality, you know, in terms of being able to stay with him, with those guys, you know, deny them a little bit, uh, the ball, and then be able to obviously track with them, go over screens, get rear contests. I think all that stuff is important um, in terms of, you know, obviously the Bucks, the success the Bucks have had in containing opposing point guards. So I think it matters. I don't, again, I don't think you, you know, kind of like um, there is no Giannis stopper. I don't think there's a Kyrie stopper. Um, but that said, I think, you know, Giannis is a, uh, or, or Bledsoe is probably as good and as good or better of an answer for Kyrie as, as certainly anybody is on the Celtics for, for Giannis. So Bledsoe in the Bucks against Kyrie Irving, uh, just looking and again, I, 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 I understand Frank, I didn't use true shooting percentage. I, I deeply apologize for this, but, uh, this is, I, I think that kind of the easiest, most rudimentary way to look at it, uh, Kyrie, when I did this, was averaging 23.9 points per game. Against the Bucks, he averaged 21.7 points per game. He was averaging 7.1 assists per game. Against the Bucks, he averaged 6.3 assists. So uh, down about an assist per game against the Bucks and down about two points per game against the Bucks. His field goal attempts, 18.6 per game. Against the Bucks, that was up to 22.3. So he was scoring about two points less per game and taking about four shots more per game three-point attempts per game uh averaging 6.4 in the season against the bucks 6.3 so uh you can kind of see obviously you mentioned that first game where he shot a lot of threes uh you know in the other games he didn't shoot quite as many uh field goal percentage for the season uh this is two-point field goal percentage uh 49 percent against the bucks 38.8 percent and then three-point percentage 39.8 percent on the season for Kyrie Irving. And again, this was at the time that I did this about a month ago uh, against the Bucks, 45.8%. So I do think, again, you don't stop him. He's so talented one-on-one that you just have to slow him down. And uh, I think in many ways, try to get him to, 
you know, just work for everything. And Bledsoe had some success doing that. And, you know, if you, if you take out that 45.8% from three and just take that down to a season average, obviously those numbers look even better. Um, so I, I do think that I don't know that it's the statement, it's fiction, uh, that no one, including Eric Bledsoe, can slow down Kyrie Irving. Um, I don't know that it's fact either, but like you said, it's kind of in that in-between space where I do think Bledsoe does some really nice things against him. Uh, Ultimately, in the end, it may just end up being really tough for for the entirety of the series. And, you know, I think you, you kind of kind of live with that in some ways uh, because that, that's going to be how it is. But you look at the, the last two times or the last time these two teams plays played, excuse me, uh, the one point win for the bucks uh, in, in Milwaukee, 98, 97. And you have Kyrie scores 22 points, but goes nine of 27 from the field. And that that's a win. <laughs> that's, that's a big time win. Uh, for this Bucks team, so uh, if you can make them work for it, uh, I think ultimately you've done—I uh, don't want to say you've done everything, but you've kind of done enough. You've done enough to to kind of make that a a win, or at least something more neutral than Kyrie just dominating the game. Um, speaking yeah, and, of and just, just just one addendum there: forty-eight percent true shooting for Kyrie against the Bucks this year compared to 59% versus uh, over overall on the season. Beautiful. Uh, so, it, again, Eric Bledsoe doing his job. Um, all right. Let's go with this one. Speaking of Eric Bledsoe, Eric Bledsoe is completely over last year. <laughs> um, I still want to see it, I think. Um, I, I think, I, let, let's just say this. I expect Eric Bledsoe to be Eric Bledsoe in this series. He obviously wasn't last year. Um, so I, again, I, I think he was a guy that I think we were watching closely in the first round, you know, even aside from the fact that they obviously didn't really need him to, to play at his peak ability to, to beat the Pistons. But I think there were definite positives in the way that, you know, he was aggressive and looking to make an impact and, you know, really, uh, I think left, left his imprint on that series. And granted, like I said, the, not a high pressure series per se, but I thought Bledsoe, um, you know, came to play and, and played at a high level. And uh, obviously, you know, him having that experience in the first round, I think is important because I think what that was his first playoff start last year in the playoffs against Boston. So, you know, he'd played years earlier in LA when he was a backup to Chris Paul, but had never been a starter in a playoff game before that. So um, it was a new experience. And obviously it was one he wanted to forget. But like I said, uh, a little, you know, I think last week, I mean, he also shot 23 points on or got 23 points on 12 shots in game seven last year. And if the Bucks, you know, don't get kind of substandard performances from a lot of other guys, including some really shady bench rotations, <laughs> um, you know, like we would have seen the Bucks get to the second round and the whole narrative of Bledsoe's struggles would have been redeemed last year. Right. Just because of, of what he did in game seven. Instead, you know, nobody talks about what he did in game seven and, you know, it is what it is. So, um, you know, again, I don't think there's any, you know, structural reason why, uh, why the Bucks, why, why Eric Bledsoe can't be good against um, the Boston Celtics. I mean, obviously, uh, the Celtics are a very good defensive team. So 
Obviously, that always makes life more difficult. I mean, Kyrie's, I think, a better effort guy than he was previously. Um, he has not been great against Boston this year. Uh, only 11 points and three assists against the Celtics. Uh, 44%, 25%, 67% split. So that gives me some pause that he has not played well against the Celtics this year either. Um, so, again, um, he's a guy I'm going to watch closely. I'm going to be, uh, let's just say, very... Uh, very happy if he comes out and and plays well in game one because I think you know again maybe it's just part of it's just getting him off the hook a little bit and, and getting off the schneid. I, I, man, this one is kind of a tough one. I do think that you know all of what happened last year kind of lingers over Bledsoe. Um, obviously, he he told Malik Andrews of ESPN earlier this year that you know that series is is his fault that they lost it. And, uh, you know, I do think it kind of helps tell the story of Eric Bledsoe, like that story, like just that, just that image of him kind of even this year still, you know, being able to say that about last year is big, but also, you know, it is, it is something. And I, I just think there was, I think there was a sequence in the third and final game against the Celtics where like he missed a couple free throws and then I think I'm pretty sure it was Rozier. It might have been Kyrie, but I think Rozier tossed one of his shots like off the glass or something. And you could just kind of see his body language change a little bit. Uh, and I think in that last game against the the Celtics, yeah, he was two of nine in that game, oh four from the three point line, one of two at the free throw line, and minus fifteen, just five points against the Celtics that game, and. I found myself thinking in the second half, like, you know, maybe that's, maybe he's not over it. Maybe, maybe all of that isn't, isn't quite gone yet. And I, I, to me, that's going to be, and again, I don't know if we're going to know right away or if it's going to need to get triggered by Terry Rozier making a play or whatever it may be. Like, I do just think that it is something that will linger over this series and and you know maybe we won't actually know um whether or not he is over it until the series is over um but i I do think he kind of has a chance to to swing this series and i i think i i in the last couple weeks i've kind of started to think about it this way that you know Giannis in i guess chris in some ways like chris is is the Bucks floor. Like Chris is the reason why the Bucks floor is high. Like even on the nights where he's not able to hit shots or he misses some shots, like he's still going to give you really solid wing defense. He's still probably going to dish out three or four assists. Like he's still going to probably hit some shots, maybe not all of them and miss a few that you want him to make, but he's going to do enough that he's good to quite good on any given night. And he's just going to raise the floor of the team. And with Bledsoe, it just feels like he's the ceiling. That the ceiling of this team can go higher when he's really good. And obviously all year we've heard Bud say, like, when Bledsoe's really good, we're really good. And to me, the, we're, we're saying it differently, but I, I do think in many ways that's kind of what you're saying is that if you can get really good Bledsoe offensively, you know, you're going to be really tough to beat. And that takes your, your ceiling up to, to a whole nother level. And uh, that's why I do think that there's a chance that he just swings this entire series. For sure. All right. Last one. Marcus smart being out is as, 
is as important as Malcolm Brogdon being out? Um, well, I'll say fact, um, and, and it's biased a little bit by the fact that I think we're, I mean, I'd be shocked if we don't see Malcolm Brogdon at some point in this series. And it seems like Smart is just not going to be able to get back um, from that torn oblique muscle uh, for at least another couple weeks. So um, I, I think, it, you know, again, Smart um, likely definitely being out versus Brogdon likely coming back early in the series. I think that obviously slants it sort of in importance, um, you know, a little bit towards Smart, even if uh, Malcolm's the better player. Um, I, you know, it, I, I kind of go back and forth. I mean, I think we've seen from the Bucks. I mean, you know, they can win games at a very high clip with without Malcolm Brogdon just because they do have really good depth. And that's not really meant to be a knock on, on Malcolm as much as just a, a statement of um, of how well, you know, some of these other guys like like Sterling and, and Connaughton have played in, in terms of just providing kind of backup minutes. And, you know, George Hill obviously should, should mention George Hill as well. He's obviously really elevated his game since um, since Malcolm has been out. So um, I, I think, again, I think the Bucks can win without Malcolm. I think the Celtics can win without Marcus Smart. Um, I think the argument probably in Smart's favor is that, I mean, you look at the, um, you just look at the Celtics and their best players. I mean, Horford's obviously a very good defensive player, but you look at all their sort of like wings and guards, um, like they don't have anybody who kind of like brings that defensive kind of dogged mentality the same way that Smart does. So I think he kind of brings maybe um, a dimension on the defensive end that that maybe, you know, like nobody else can for Boston. And, you know, it's been talked about a lot that when Marcus and Marcus, Smart and Morris uh, were inserted into the starting five um, kind of midway through the season that, that they – started playing a lot better and, and putting Hayward on the bench and Brown on the bench um, kind of gave that starting lineup a, an injection of sort of that effort and energy that, that kind of was needed rather than just having a bunch of guys who wanted to, to get buckets. So um, I think it matters. I think, you know, smart also to his credit, 36% from three this year, um, his true shooting percentage had hovered between 46 and 49% his first four years, which is awful this year. Uh, almost 57%. So he became a much more efficient shooter this year and score than he had been in previous years, which obviously um, makes him much more playable. So, um, you know, I, again, I, I think smart is, is a guy you miss. And, and again, notwithstanding the old argument of like, Oh, well now you can up the minutes for some of these other deserving guys. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if any of those other guys really give you, um, you know, can give you what Marcus smart gives you just because he has that, kind of um that mindset that kind of infectious kind of defensive type type of style so um you know on the one hand i think you can make a very good case that malcolm is just a better player overall just because of how good he is offensively in the 50 40 90 um i think the bucks are going to need malcolm brogdon to win a championship um you know like if you're going to take out the warriors and the raptors or the sixers and the celtics and all these teams that you're going to need all your kind of key guys and malcolm's obviously a big part of that um, but again, I think you can make, make the argument, especially with smart, likely being out the entire series, that that's a bigger injury for Boston than, than Malcolm's injury has been for, for the bucks. But I don't know. I'm, I'm open to interpretation and one other number to kind of consider, which surprised me a little bit, the Celtics have actually been no worse with smart on the bench than with him in the game. Um, and overall his kind of like net on off numbers in terms of his impact on the team's um, net rating the last few years it's, it's never really been a dramatic difference um, which 
kind of surprised me a little bit because I always thought of Smart as being like, oh, he must be one of those like great plus minus, you know, glue guy type players, but um, maybe not as much as you might think. Yeah, I think with him, what what's kind of interesting is just that one, as you mentioned, he's he's a wing defender, which is just something that. I think every team in the NBA playoffs needs more of, uh, no matter how many they have. Um, so I, I do think that is that is important, and I do think that he could give them a major boost. And I also think that just the fact that he hit the jumpers that he did hit this year, that that to me was you know like thinking back to some of the games against them this year. Uh, you know the Bucks might might leave a guy like Marcus Smart open, and uh, you know some nights you're you're gonna pay for it, and other nights you wouldn't. But it just always felt like since he did become a slightly better shooter this year, that uh, he could hit one of those backbreakers where you're just like, eh, whatever, extra pass over to Marcus Smart, that should be totally fine, and. Well, then, then he would actually hit one, um, and I, I don't know. I, I think ultimately it probably is more important than Browning, just because the Bucks have kind of covered up for it so well, uh, and I think Smart does really help that Celtics team defensively. But I, I, I do think it, it, it's really close. Um, I think you can kind of go in either direction there, just because with Malcolm you do have a level of consistency, you do have another creator. You do just have, um, you know, I, you just have a level that some nights Sterling Brown might get to, some nights George Hill might get to, uh, some nights maybe Pat Connaughton can fill in for some of the things that he does well, uh, but it's not going to be quite as consistent as as Malcolm Brogdon brings it, and uh, I think that can be that can be really huge in the playoffs. Just having someone you believe in in the fifth spot like to have that confidence in them uh can be can be really big so uh yeah we'll see i think that's all we got you you feeling good about that uh especially if we we talk with john corrales uh, tomorrow and in, in preview this series a little bit what do you think i think we'll be previewed out i think uh i think we're by by you know friday we're going to be in desperate need of some actual basketball to watch which and, isn't uh, good because it's not coming until sunday it's not coming until sunday i don't know if we buried the lead there sunday at noon central time on ABC. Um, I'm excited to see it. I mean, uh, you know, again, um, real playoff basketball is going to be fun. Like actual playoff basketball, not whatever Bucks Pistons was. Right. Right. I would feel it's funny. And this is something I've harped on a lot and it may seem stupid, but you know, I think again, opening any series at home, there's pressure on you. Um, I think it'll be really interesting. I mean, I think it's going to be a very good test of the Bucks mentality, which has been great all season to see how they react to, you know, getting a, basically a week off and then having to start a series on a Sunday uh, at noon um, against obviously a much better team than they faced last round. Same goes for the Celtics, obviously a much better team than they faced last round in the Bucks um, or sorry, in the Pacers dramatically better team than the Pacers. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I uh, the, we haven't talked about our expectations for the series. It, you know, it feels like this could be a series. The Bucks win in five. It feels like, if Boston wins it, it would take probably have to go the distance. Um, but again, like I, I think the first two games are going to be absolutely crucial because if the Celtics don't win one of those first two games, I, I just I just don't see it happening for them. Um, and obviously, last year, you know, the story of that series 
the home team won all seven games and obviously the teams have changed a fair bit since then. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think certainly that's the advantage of home court. You know, it's, it's hard to pick against, I think it's really hard to pick against the bucks. Um, you know, in, in this scenario, just given what we know about both these teams and the body of work this year and the fact that ultimately, you know, if there is a game seven, it's going to be Milwaukee. Um, I power ranked my predictions in, in, in the podcast I did today. Um, so I think before John joins us, let, let's do some predictions right now. Um, I believe, did you just make yours official? Do you want to make yours official? Um, it's bucks in seven, five, where do you want to go? Um, because this is how I did it. I said I think the most li- likely outcome is Bucks and seven. The second most likely outcome is Bucks and five. And the third most likely outcome is Celtics and six. Yeah, I always kind of struggle with the idea of of playoff series. Like I feel like a lot of times when people predict like the number of games a series will go, they don't think about what it means for like a lot of times they predict that that the road team is going to win the clinching game. And I, I don't. I'd be curious to know like how often that actually happens. Um, but, but that's hard to do, right. To, to win, uh, you know, if you're the team with home court to win, you know, game six on the road and, and vice versa, like bucks and six is pretty difficult. It feels pretty, it feels pretty difficult. Um, well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, again, like I, I, I fully believe the bucks can win in Boston. I'm, I'm not, you know, going to act like that's some, some Herculean task, uh, for, for this team in particular. Um, but it would mean that, you know, the bucks, I guess at that point, the Bucks. No, I guess I guess in that scenario, the Bucks could have won three of their home games and then just win one game on the road. So I was going to say if it meant that the Bucks lose a game at home, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm I see this is the thing, right? I'm like afraid to to pick a more aggressive um, outcome than that. I'll, I'll say Bucks in seven. Um, I again, I I'm just I, this is all too new to me, Eric. I'm afraid to to be too aggressive. You know, I'll I'll, I'll cover <laughs> myself and say I wouldn't be surprised if the Bucks can win it in, in in more dominant fashion. I think the Celtics will not win in dominant fashion, but um, you know, again, it's uh, I, I, I think it'll be a, a series that, that should, I think hopefully provide us some, some very good answers about just, just how good this Bucks team is. And, um, and obviously what, what they're, what the ceiling of this roster is. I would agree. So it should be fun. Remember, to get the show every day, subscribe to Lockdown Bucks on the new Himalaya podcast app. In an ever-expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya with their personally curated playlist and new fe- features every day. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Lockdown Bucks. So big thanks to all of you for listening. And remember, you can subscribe to this show on the new Himalaya podcast as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast locked on bucks we'll try to do a preview tomorrow um hopefully it'll be with john kraus and if it doesn't work out then it'll just be with frank and i and then hopefully by the weekend you are all previewed out and ready for some playoff basketball um so that's gonna be it for us for today for frank madden i'm eric name this has been locked on bucks we'll talk to you guys tomorrow